Isn't it true that in uncertain times, God has a tendency to get our undivided attention? In fact, most of us would say it was a di- during a difficult time in our life, like an illness or a job loss, something that we began to pray for, for maybe for the first time, or we began to pray after having gone a long time without praying. There is just something about uncertainty that just causes us to look up instead of kind of looking all around. If you're in an airplane and there is really bad turbulence, isn't it amazing how spiritual you are? You are so focused. You aren't worried about the guy that didn't finish your basement on time. You're not worried about the stock market. All of a sudden, you are so holy. When life is kind of spinning out of control, it's our natural tendency for us, not all of us, but for some of us, to kind of go and kind of move in the direction of God. Now, for this reason, God gets more done in our lives in the uncertainty than when times are smooth because we don't learn anything when things are going well, do we? We learn the most about ourselves, about our life, and about our Heavenly Father when times are difficult. When you think about the time that you drifted from God, if that describes your spiritual journey, you, you generally drift from God when things are kind of going our way, don't you? There could be bad things that make you question God, but did you know that even when you're questioning, at least you're kind of turned into, the, into God's direction? That's why this this book, the Bible, is more relevant now for us than it's ever been our whole lives. If you're not a Christian and your your whole view of the Bible was determined in an English class as a freshman and they sort of wrote it off as a myth or literature and you've never gone back to it, I'm telling you this is the time to come back because all of this was written in and all of these stories in here happened in times of uncertainty. There is a record, uh, this is a record rather, of God's faithfulness in uncertain times to faithless and faithful people. If ever there has been a time in your life or my life for this book to become relevant, it's now. So we launched this series last week called He Still Has the Whole World in His Hands. And we added the word still because there are times when you look at your life and our world and our health and our economy and you wonder, is God active at all? Does God interact in the affairs of man? Does God intervene? Is he just out there somewhere? Or maybe is he out there at all? As you come to the scripture, we're reminded that what we're experiencing right now from a biblical perspective is normal. This is just normal. Consequently, we really have nothing to fear because God hasn't changed. And God is an expert at taking care of his people during uncertain times. That's what we find in the scripture over and over and over. Last week, I told you a story at the end of the message, and we talked very briefly about a verse. This verse sets up where we want to go today. Here's what it says. This is Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, COVID-19, quarantine, isolation, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to find my job? Am I going to sell my house? Am I going to get into school? Am I going to keep my scholarship? What's going on right now with my house? Am I going to be able to move? Am I going to sell my house? Is he going to call me back? Is she going to call me back? Where's my son? Where's my daughter? Where's my husband? Where's my wife? In all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God is always at work. And it gets more done in uncertain times. But what are we supposed to do in the meantime? What are we supposed to do while we wait for God to do something and to answer our prayers? What are we supposed to do when the uncertainty becomes more uncertain? What are we supposed to do while the bank account gets lower and lower? What are we supposed to do when we get lonelier and lonelier? What are we supposed to do when things seem to go in the opposite direction and when it seems that God isn't answering our prayer at all? The great news is there is a very, very specific answer from Scripture. I want to tell you a little bit about the Apostle Paul. 
because he wrote the verses we're going to look at today. And it's his story that makes all of this so believable. In fact, if I were to get up and simply give you the advice that he gives us in these verses, you would think, Paul, you're not living in reality. He just doesn't know what's go- what I'm going through. He doesn't know what's happening. But it's his life that gives these verses credibility. So let me give you a heads up about what's going on. After Jesus had gone to be with the Father, the Apostle Paul started planting churches all around the Mediterranean Rim. One of the first he started was in the town of Philippi. And so he, he starts this church and then he goes and he starts another church and then eventually he, he kind of ends up back in Jerusalem. But, but he was warned not to go to Jerusalem because the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they wanted to put a stop to what he was doing because they felt like he was corrupting Judaism. He was telling non-Jewish people, you can worship the Jewish God and you can be loved by the Jewish God, but you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to eat the right thing. You don't have to be circumcised. Thank God. You don't have to keep the law. God has sent his son to cover all of that. You just accept the Messiah and you are in. Well, this just infuriated the Jewish leaders. They felt like he was corrupting and undoing Judaism. So he goes back to Jerusalem, into the temple. Some of the leaders who he had kind of greatly offended, they kind of make a call of action and a mob attacks him and they they drag him out of the temple. And they're about to to stone him to death. They're just so angry. The the Roman guard shows up and and they kind of pull the guys off of Paul and they basically arrest Paul to protect him from the mob. These same leaders trump all these charges up against Paul. They they say, basically, you got to arrest this guy. You got to get him out of here. He's broken our law. So somewhere in the controversy, Paul mentions to one of his captors, hey, not only am I Jewish, but I'm also a Roman citizen. And this is a game changer. All of a sudden, it's a different set of laws. So they decide to send Paul to Rome for trial on these ridiculous trumped up charges that have nothing to do with the Roman government. Now he's under arrest. They put him in a ship. They make their way to Rome. While he's in the ship, a storm comes and they get lost in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea for two weeks. Paul is chained at the bottom of the ship for two weeks. They're lost. The storm finally washes them ashore. They're shipwrecked on an island for three months. Finally, they get to Rome. They're so far down on the list uh, to be tried that it takes over two years for his trial to even come about. And this whole time he's imprisoned. But while he's imprisoned, he begins writing letters to all of those churches that he planted throughout Europe. The scripture we're going to look at today is from the letter that Paul writes to these people, this church rather, in in Philippians. This is the book of Philippians. Uh, The reason this is so important is is what he says to them is extremely impractical, but but you can't really argue with the source because whatever your difficulty is right now, you wouldn't want to tell your story before Paul got up to tell his story. I call this a a one-upper. You tell your story and then the guy gets up after you to tell his story and somehow it just one-ups yours. This is Paul. This is actually Paul's life. You might have had a hard time, but Paul would say, hey guys, I've been stoned. As in, you know, rocks thrown at me, just to, to, to clarify. In fact, he would say, they stoned me so bad, they, they left me in the field for dead. That's how bad it was. I was whipped, I was arrested, I was shipwrecked, I was bit by a, st- a snake. Now I'm awaiting trial in Rome. And he knows that eventually this is going to end up in his death. In fact, after a few years, they come to Paul's house and they take him on a walk through uh, the Roman uh, city as they kind of did with high profile prisoners. They walk him outside of town about three or four miles and they behead him in private. And that was the end of the apostle Paul. But here's what he has to say about how we pray in times of uncertainty. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, if we just... If we just said, obviously, you know, hey, Paul, this was written 2,000 years ago. You have no clue. But he adds these three little words in here, rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord always. 
So let me kind of help you understand this. If I were to take out the phrase in the Lord and put something else in there, you totally get this. What if I said, rejoice in your new job. Rejoice in the fact that he actually called you back and he's going to take you out again. Rejoice in your new truck. Rejoice in the stock market that it's turned around. Rejoice in the fact that you are engaged. Rejoice in your scholarship. Rejoice in the fact that you made the team. All of us know what it means to rejoice in something. It is to focus on that good news to the point that the emotion associated with that good news becomes our emotion. And people would say, you know, why are you so happy? Well, I made the team. I got accepted. I started a new job on Tuesday. We know what it means. And here's what Paul says. He says, look, I want you to spend whatever time is necessary to capture the emotion associated with the fact of God's grace and mercy and love in your life. I want you to stop and I want you to allow the reality of what God has done for you to kind of set in. I want you to focus on it so much that, that it actually you begin to feel the emotion that's associated with that good news. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice, rejoice. Then he says, let your gentleness, your character, your kindness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Implication Don't let hard times begin to erode your integrity and your character. Don't allow your fuse to get so short because of the things that are, that are tough, that are, you know, they're beginning to, to destroy the relationships with the people you have around you. Things are tough, but if your joy is only associated with good circumstances, then as those circumstances begin to kind of erode, so will your character. And then he says this, don't be anxious about anything. Or, or let me say it this way. Don't be anxious about anything. <clears throat> now, that is not very helpful advice, is it? In fact, I'm guessing you hate it. When your friends or your spouse say it to you, they say it like this, don't worry about it. And I bet you've never once said, you know what? That's such great advice. I'll just never worried about it. Why didn't I think of that? No, my guess is you want to strangle them because they obviously have no clue what's going on in your life. So even though Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, He's smart enough to know you can't leave it there. And in these next two verses, he gives us the secret to handling difficult times without allowing difficult times to control us. These next few verses give us the solution or what to do during times of extraordinary anxiety when things are so uncertain and so unpredictable. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, COVID-19, quarantine, in your marriage, in the job situation, your school situation, your friend situation. This is appropriate and can be applied universally across every situation. He's saying, here's what I'm, I'm not saying, just don't be anxious. I'm saying, don't be anxious and then go do this thing instead. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, if you read it this way, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray. You miss the meaning of the verse. Pray, what do you mean pray? I've been praying more during this whole thing than I've ever prayed my whole life. I pray all the time in every situation. Now look at these words, by prayer and petition. Well, isn't that kind of the same thing as prayer? Well, yeah, but he's going somewhere with this, with thanksgiving, and we all kind of know what that means. Present, which literally means to reveal. A Greek word usually used within the context of solving a mystery. What Paul is saying is, look, I don't want you to pray like, you know, God, please help her to call me back. And God, I'm, I'm lonely. You know, those things are fine. Start there. 
I want you to spend the time necessary to understand for yourself and then to reveal to God what it is you really, at the deepest level of your heart, desire. On the surface, I desire a job. But what do you really desire? On the surface, I I need to sell my house. Okay, but what's behind that? What is driving that request? I want you to reveal. Don't just tell God what you want. That's a good place to start. But I want you to reveal to God the deepest desire of your heart. That is the solution. And that is our proper response to times of anxiety. Times of uncertainty surface our deepest insecurities and our greatest fears. Very few of us pray at a level of insecurity and fear. Most of us pray at a level of, here's what I want. You know, here's what I need. In Jesus' name, amen. And then Paul is saying, okay, you can pray that way if you want, but that's not going to help you with your anxiety. Now that you are beginning to kind of sort of feel the earth shake beneath your feet, now that you are feeling things that you've never felt before, now that you're having doubts that you've never had before, I want you to come to God and say, God, here's what I want. But here's what, what, what I, I really want. Here's what's behind it. And here's what I fear. And here's what I fear is going to happen. And to be honest, this is my heart's desire. Uncertainty surfaces my deepest insecurity and my hidden values. When I move past, help me to find a job. Help me to sell my house. Help me to close the deal. Help me to move past all of that. What is behind all of those legitimate requests comes to the surface is, is security, you right? My concern my, for my family, my need to feel important, my need to be viewed in a certain way by my peers, my need to be viewed in a certain way by my kids, my fear that perhaps God doesn't know my name. Paul says, I want you to dig deep. I want you to find that. I want you to come to God and I want you to spend the time until you've begun to understand your deepest, most hidden desire. And then the peace of God, the peace of God, Not the piece of circumstances. You know, we've all had that. Everything went fine today. The kids came home. The meal, my meal was on time. You know, we all went to bed on time. I had peace. I had a great date and and I've got another one tomorrow night. I've got peace. He says, no, no, no. That's that's the peace of this world and that's the peace of circumstances. But the peace of God, the peace of God transcends all understanding in that nobody gets it. People are going to look at you and go, are you in denial? You seem to be okay. So, so things have changed. You, right? you, you sold your house. No, no, no. Things have actually gotten worse. My basement flooded too. Well, you seem to be okay. I am okay. But you're not okay because the world changed. You're okay because you changed. I love what C.S. Lewis says about prayer. He says, I learned that prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing me. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. See, here's the bottom line. Guard means to stand watch over, to stand watch over your heart and your mind. The reason we are so anxiety-ridden is because we've not invited or allowed our Heavenly Father to stand guard over our heart and our mind. We try to keep sending Him out to stand guard over our job, over our kids. And God says, what if you allowed me to stand guard over your heart and over your mind? What if you could have peace in spite of the fact that there is uncertainty? What if you had peace in the midst of uncertainty? What if instead of being stressed out in these moments of high stress and high anxiety, you learned to pray in such a way that at the end of your prayer, you found peace? What Paul is saying is this, that in times of uncertainty, we are to pray until the peace comes. We're to stay on our knees, not until the world changes, because the world may not change. Not until your kids are perfect and get straight A's and you know they love being homeschooled because the reality is that may never happen. But God has promised that we can pray until the peace comes. 
God, here's why I want it. God, here's what I'm afraid will happen if you don't do it. And the reason I'm so afraid is because I guess I've never really learned to trust you. And God says, now we're praying. And if you allow me to take you there and you will emerge into the same world that you came into this prayer with, but you will have something you didn't have before. You will have the peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension. And here's the place to start. Heavenly Father, I need you to fill in the blank. That's where our prayer starts. Heavenly Father, I need you to, to change my son. Heavenly Father, I need you to provide this for me. But, but the second part is where it gets really interesting. If you don't, I'm afraid that, and fill in that blank. What are you afraid of? Well, I'm not afraid of anything. Yes, you are. The truth is you're just too afraid to admit you're afraid. What are your insecurities? I'm not insecure about anything. Yes, you are. You're just too insecure to know it. Begin with your greatest anxiety, the most stressed about the thing that when you have any margin, your thoughts and your mind, they just kind of go there. What is it that you need God to do? What are you afraid is going to happen? And as you begin to dwell on the what if, then ask your heavenly father, what is it that I'm so afraid of because your fear is parallel? your deepest desires. And I'm telling you, the peace is available for those men and those women who will allow their heavenly father to take them to that level of conversation and honesty with their God in heaven. Have you made your deepest, most hidden request known to God? Do you even really know what it is? When life is uncertain, God is not. He still has the whole world in his hands. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? We're supposed to pray and learn to pray until that peace comes. God hasn't lost control. He's not asleep behind the wheel. But what am I supposed to do, Jim? We, <clears throat> we can be anxiety-ridden or we can learn to pray until the peace comes. And when you discover that amazing peace that surpasses and just kind of defies human comprehension, you will know your heavenly father in a way you have never known him before. You may look back on these circumstances like, like people look back on similar circumstances and say, I would never sign up for that again but I wouldn't trade those circumstances for what I have discovered about myself and for what I've discovered about the love of my heavenly father. Let me pray for us. Heavenly father, I, <clears throat> God, I thank you for this incredible word. God, I, I thank you that, that, that Paul, Lord, in the midst of those incredibly uncertain and dark circumstances, God, he still found a way to have peace and that he, he was, God, he, he wrote that, that formula down for us. I pray that you would give us the wisdom, God, to see the truth in this and to see past our circumstances. God, to dig deep in our prayers, to find what is our greatest fear. God, and then to reveal that to you. And I pray that, God, as we begin to walk that road, as we take that courageous step of moving past what we really want, God, into what we really fear, God, that you would begin to give us the peace that only you can give. The peace that surpasses all human comprehension. I thank you for everybody watching this broadcast. Lord, I thank you for Journey Church and I pray that you'd be with them this week. I pray that you would give them an amazing week and that you bring them back here for part three of he still has the whole world in his hands. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Journey Church, I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. Have a great week.